Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we ask two of Barclays' top CEOs about what they think was a defining moment in 2022 and what opportunities and challenges do they foresee in 2023. With Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, Hannah Bernard, Head of Business Banking, Nikki Eggers, Head of Wealth Management and Investing, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to a special end of year edition of Word on the Street, where we are very lucky to be joined by a very special pair of CEOs to reflect on the year we are now finally leaving and also on the year that lies ahead. So crystal ball time. You might hear Will groan. So before we get started with that, Will, can you get us going with the latest from the world? Dare I say it has been another messy week. Uh, yes, you are right. Hello, Sarah. Uh, hello, Nikki. Hello, Hannah. Hello, everybody. Um, it continues to be very eventful, to say the least. Now, uh, you know, as you know, we're actually in the st- somewhat strange position of needing the US economy to slow at the moment to help us beyond this you know, current inflationary episode. Uh, at least we hope it's an episode and not a saga. Uh, and the news on this much look for slowdown, it, it's still pretty mixed in truth. So the so-called leading indicators, long-running surveys of demand and uh, operating conditions are suggesting slower growth ahead, particularly in manufacturing. However, the labour market, and this is the thing the Federal Reserve will be continuing to watch a little bit, uh, remains too hot for comfort. And alongside that, the services sector retains considerable momentum for now on the evidence of the latest survey data again. But c- c- could this you know, mean that the peak in monetary policy is still further off yet? Uh, and these are the big questions of the moment, remember, with regards to markets is how much further, you know, where is the peak in US uh, interest rates? And how long will interest rates remain at that peak? Uh, and what damage is it going to do to the, you know, to the US and global economy? How far is it going to have to slow before, uh, you know, interest rates can be cut again or growth can start to be re-nurtured? The other thing going on at the moment, and it would be headline news, you know, it would have been all year really if, um, if it wasn't for everything else going on. And that's China's story at the moment. At the moment, it's really centering around the potential to relax zero COVID. And um, that's really, um, one of the major things getting investors interested and you've seen a sharp recovery in Chinese related uh, assets. Remember though, zero COVID should not be seen as a kind of capricious vanity project. You know, that that's a sort of popular caricature in Western media. In, in a way, China's problems here can be directly traced to that incredible success against the more fatal, more fatal, less transis- transmissible Delta strain. Now that combined with still very low ICU capacity per capita, I think it's about a one-tenth of Germany, say, and a decision to early on to focus on vaccinating working age population versus the elderly or more vulnerable. That's all combining to mean that there's short, that there are very few sort of benign paths out of this situation for China. The trade-offs um, have become more complex and, and become more complex still when you factor in, you know, a population starting to show frustrations and, you know, that collapsing property bubble, you know, the property bubble really to end all property bubbles that really dwarfs anything that we've seen in history. So it, it, again, I say this every week almost, I think this week, but it's a gigantically complex moment in the world. The, the other thing that's just sort of been in the headlines is obviously UK property market. There's still some worries there. You know, there are some growing worries there about warehouse prices are headed next. I would recommend you to the podcast, I think, a few uh, a few weeks back with, uh, we've got, you know, D-Horse's Mouth, 
Richard Donner from Zoopla talking about that very thing. Excellent. Well, thank you, Will. So now I want to bring in the bosses. Hannah, please, can I start with you? Thinking about 2022, is there one thing that stuck out to you personally as something important? I'm sure there's a lot to choose from. Well, yeah, thanks. It's another important reminder, I think, this year of how resilient SMEs are. So I think I'm always amazed at how innovative entrepreneurs are and how they're able to pivot really quickly. And I think um, when, obviously, you, you kind of came into 2022, I think we'd never expect, we thought a lot of the pivoting had happened. So we'd had Brexit, COVID lockdown, COVID part reopening, COVID lockdown, COVID reopening. And then we got to the beginning of 2022. And I think we then obviously had supply chain issues, Ukraine, energy crisis, the rate rises coming out of the mini budget or the back of the mini budget. That list has gone on and on. And I think, I suppose I'm just always staggered, but you know, about how brilliantly our small business owners are able to do that pivot. And so I think, you know, when I look back at what, I suppose, what we've done uh, in business banking to support that, we had set up a, a series of masterclasses. We had a business health pledge at the beginning of the year, thinking that actually that was going to be about supporting growth as we um, kind of turned to a piece of relative stability. And actually, you know, that's not been the case. We've had these constant kind of having to kind of readjust and then kind of pivot. And so it's been really good, I think, to be able to have um, those sessions where we can then get the like-minded business owners, entrepreneurs together and and use the format to talk about things that are important to customers, what's, what's going on for them. And so we've run nearly 600 masterclasses and workshops on a whole range of topics. And we've managed to engage over 18,000 people in those, which has been fantastic. So I do, I do think, so look, 2022 has been about helping and engaging, uh, bringing people together to kind of continue to, to kind of pivot, I suppose. Pivot's the word. <laughs> Great answer, Hannah. And pivot is now stuck in my head. Um, so, Nikki, <laughs> moving on to you. I mean, same question. What what stuck out for you in 2022? Amazing hearing Hannah's perspective there. I guess it's hard to pinpoint one thing, right? I, I don't know about you, but it's felt like almost a decade crammed into a year. But but if I'm forced to reflect on on one element, I guess it's that that contrast between the shapeshift that we all had through 2020 and and 21 as many of the workforce moved to working from home. This year, the one joy has been getting people back into workplaces that otherwise hadn't been. So I think, you know, we were certainly more resilient than we might have otherwise been without the huge technological advances we saw with the use of Zoom, WebEx, Teams, etc. But that allowed us to remain very connected as as clients, as colleagues through those restrictions that we all lived through. But I think coming more into the office and spending more time together has been a real reminder of what we've missed. So whilst flexibility is great, and certainly our colleagues are telling us that they value that and, and we're, we're continuing to support that, I know that I've very much valued the ability to bump into colleagues that I might not otherwise come across in the normal course of business and um, you know may not be quite such a pleasure for them who knows but <laughs> I've certainly enjoyed seeing many people again and I guess you know I know I know will you'll you'll be way more academic around um, the proof points to be able to draw those firm conclusions around hybrid working being productive but if I was to take my heuristic approach to this, the the buzz around 
whether it's the office, whether it's other workplaces, or indeed just at Waterloo Station that I commute into, I, I've certainly had to have sharper elbows than ever before. <laughs> and, and in a way, there's been a perverse joy in that. So, well, Nikki, I fully agree. Um, yeah, I much prefer being in the office. It's great to be sat in the room recording this with recording this podcast with you today as well. Um, and I've had a lot of colleagues say the same. So I'm not sure about Waterloo Station, but everything else, uh, <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, it's it's good, isn't it? I mean, also, just it's more than just, and we were just you know talking yesterday about you know just the ability to do more than gossip by the water cooler, but just you know normal interactions with lots of colleagues. And like you say, Nikki, with regards to the first bit, you know the. The lockdowns, the technology was so important, you know, a familiar theme. We talked about this before, but it was kind of, you know, disparate strands of technological breakthrough in the decades before the pandemic coalesced to allow that, you know, flexibility when it came along. But from our perspective in sort of, you know, the research team, I don't, this may not be sort of indicative at all. You know, we have quite a specific role, as lots of people do, but we found some bits of the, you know, research process quite difficult to replicate uh, digitally outside of the office. Uh, and actually, I'm really seeing it, you know, seeing the brains jostling together while I watch and admire and sort of, you know, try and take credit where possible. But when thinking about that at a business or even economy level, though, as you know, as you suggest, Nikki, I I think the answers are still coming. There are increasingly some plausible studies now beginning to suggest that you're getting, you know, moderate uplifts in productivity, measured productivity um, from hybrid working in, I think, an increasingly impressive, impressive array of occupations, you know, beyond the obvious ones of call centres and so on. But, you know, in a way, like for us to know, more about this we'll need to know what the new norm is at the economy level not just at the Barclays level about you know what people how people use the office in the future and also how the infrastructure adapts and that's just some of the questions that we'll we'll have to see you know the last few years might have changed us quite substantially but we still don't quite know how much of that change will endure I'd also be interested to hear your reflections on 2022 beyond the return to office anything else to add yeah, I was trying to really dodge a reflection on twenty twenty two by piggybacking on Nikki. Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a pretty weird year. I'm not going to lie from a markets perspective. Uh, you know the mix of outcomes in twenty twenty two. You know what asset classes did well or not, and that mix that's that mix has been very rarely seen in history. Um, certainly not the extent of some of the losses suffered in kind of short maturity bonds. You know the safest parts of the bond market perceived uh, and stocks combined. The major driving force behind that sort of chaotic and rare market environment was unexpected inflation. You know, the war in Ukraine, alongside some you know powerful, lingering distortions, uh, both Nikki and Hannah referred to it from the pandemic, um, and the policymaker response. That meant that inflation is even today, one year on from when uh, you know everyone was all the commentary out was spilling all that obituary ink. Uh, even today, it's far from a you know a beaten foe, and that in turn forced a jarring about turn uh, in global monetary policy that Hannah referenced. You know, central banks, particularly the US, it inflicted massive uh, jumps in interest rates on their charges, aimed at slowing growth uh, sufficiently to bring inflation back to heel. That's the aim. But, you know, in amongst all of that, you know, in terms of the 2022 reflections, I think the thing about 2022, for me anyway, has been the growing sense that we're kind of living through this this kink in history. It's not just our innate desire to feel special. I always try and guard against that, but it does feel like we're living through this really extreme period in history. Whether you date it back to the early 2010s or before, this period will have done massive amounts to shape us, our incentives, uh, for good or for ill. Um, and from the perspective of investments, that's probably my job, so I should get back to it. That's a healthy reminder. All of that, I think, is a healthy reminder to ignore the overconfident soothsayer. This, you know, that humility and how you handicap and the likelihood of the range of potential, full range of potential paths that always lie ahead. 
that's the key to good investing in our opinion there are no one who have any you know it's generally the sort of middle-aged dudes who are you know prone to this idea that somehow they are the ones who have the site usually in december as well when the outlook documents come along but that humility that's at the core of how we organize the various specialist parts of our investment value chain and therefore the output that we uh, hope our clients buy in a satisfied way and in a sense that's why the team added inflation linked bonds commodities uh, and so on at the beginning of 2021 you're trying to prepare yourself for as many potential futures as possible at all times and like our policymakers you know our guys are just trying to design high probability packages of investments mixtures of investment assets that are kind of painstaking designed to perform in as many environments as possible so yeah that's a really long-winded answer but yeah that's the best i've got for the moment thanks will and i do hope you are right on the rarity of this year right now on to crystal ball time hannah let's start with you what are your thoughts on 2023 yeah, it was a tough one, isn't it? I think they, in the short term, clearly, we've got small businesses that are really coming to focus on kind of survival, recovery, and then others, I suppose, are, are kind of really looking for growth. And I was speaking to a small business owner actually last week, and he said to me, there are always opportunities in a recession, which I thought was, again, also another brilliant characteristic of entrepreneurs that are always optimistic about you know, how they can kind of look for the winning line, which I always think is is brilliant. But yeah, so we, they're going to have to work through the challenging conditions and work on how do we get the economy to start to grow? And in particular, the scale up economy, I know um, clearly a focus for government and and actually for the opposition, you know, if they're thinking about how are we going to get the economy back firing all cylinders, it's about how we get those scale ups through high growth businesses that can have a disproportionate impact on the economy. Um, either because of obviously growth and turnover or employment or both. Um, and I think, you know, obviously lenders and Barclays in particular, we obviously want to support by providing access to funding and to markets and connections and knowledge, expertise, whole range of ways that we want to be their kind of partner for growth. I think the other thing I would just point out, and I know you, I don't know if you said two or one, but let me... <laughs> you, can, you can do two. Go ahead, Hannah. No, you're definitely allowed to. Um, but, you know, the increased pressure on businesses to look at their environmental impacts and consider how they're going to transition to this low-carbon economy. And I, th- I do think, you know, for 2021, 2022, we've been very, I suppose, the most obvious candidates for sustainability has been a bit niche. So either they're those that are directly and obviously impacted. So, you know, agricultural, real estate, when they have to think about, you know, kind of EPC ratings and things, all those that are making it their business to help solve it. So a lot of kind of green tech businesses, for example. Um, But I think as we move into 2023, it's going to become properly mainstream because we're already starting to see a little few signs of it in in 2022. But I think as we go to 2023, large corporates are now starting to think through their I think we call tap two emissions, but the carbon footprint of their supply chains, how are they going to be able to map through what their total end-to-end impact is? And they'll need their smaller businesses who supply them to be able to talk about their transition to net zero and their carbon footprint so that we can they can then be built up into this broader end-to-end supply chain. So, you know, we we have a very important role to play in helping them gain access to that expert advice and think about greener funding options and, and how they can start to build their own transition to net zero plan. So, lo- you know, lots to come. I think it's definitely going to go mainstream next year. Yeah, lots to think about. Thank you, Hannah. And Nikki, moving across to you, what's your thoughts on next year? Well, I mean, as Hannah took two, maybe I can get away with zeros. That- no, one, <laughs> Nikki. One. Okay, well, well, maybe a slight cop out, but I'm a great believer in in say it so it will happen. Say it and it will be so. But again, 
reflecting back to 2020, 2021, one of one of my reflections was, you know, after the murder of George Floyd, I very consciously expanded my repertoire of podcasts beyond just listening to you guys on Word on the Street. I, <laughs> I, um, I, I definitely extended the genre, likewise with books, to really get a better understanding of other people's lived experience. And, and I'm sorry to say that in 22, I've let that go. So, so my target and therefore prediction for, for myself, my personal one, is to make sure that I expand what I read and listen to. I promise I'll continue listening to Word on the Street, but, but expand it beyond there. Just conscious of that, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm not just listening to those who I agree with. And of course, I'd never disagree with you guys, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but going beyond that and challenging myself a bit more. Brilliant answer. Thank you, Nikki. So moving back to Mystic Will, are you planning on leaving any echo chambers in 2023? I prefer Mystic Billy, actually, I think. Okay, Mystic my, Billy. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, look, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time criticizing forecasts or uh, types of forecasts and overconfident predictions about the future and so on uh, on this podcast and any other forum the business kindly lets me on. But Recession is, you know, likely the big theme next year as the effects of this year's sharp increases in interest rates begin to take effect. However, I know I always say this, but I think we're also at a very interesting technological kind of productivity and therefore investment returns juncture. We've been saying for some time, copying a famous uh, economist called Nicholas Bloom, that the productivity interregnum between, you know, the transformative wonders of the ICT revolution, which saved many of our professional bacons during lockdown, as we've been talking about, uh, and the artificial intelligence revolution to come, that interregnum is ending. AI is landing with increasing conviction and consequence. I'm not talking Terminator 2 here. This is about the sort of banishment of the warping influence of gut instinct from a lot of the transactions and activity uh, in a lot of potential sectors. Efficiency should be the result. There's loads of interesting literature on this uh, doing the rounds. And that's only just one of the sort of incoming transformative, you know, general purpose technologies uh, of the moment. But the point more specifically with reference to next year, though, I think is really if that is the case and we're now in the sort of, you know, foothills as we've long suspected of this kind of next industrial transformation, revolution, whatever, with sort of artificial intelligence at its heart, you know, the GPT, the general purpose technology at its heart, then it's really about, at a country level, the implementation of, of those kind of fast moving technological frontiers. How far, how quickly can you stay up with that uh, frontier and how much can you push it along in a sense. Um, and there was a really interesting piece, uh, perhaps only to me as usual, but uh, published in the summer looking at the role of something called, and bear with me a second, but they're called economic societies. And it's in the, the role of these things called economic societies in 18th and 19th century German economic growth. It, it sounds a bit weird, like I say, but it, it is a part of economics literature, economic growth literature, looking to understand the role of culture, culture in growth outcomes. Now, obviously, culture is very difficult to measure its effect on growth. That's one of the many problems. But really, this is kind of asking, what are the specific cultural recipes that have worked in the past and these factors and why? Um, now, in this case, economic societies were a very interesting phenomenon. They emerged in the 18th century um, Europe and they collected, systematized and promoted the spread of useful knowledge among members. Thus, kind of, you know, the link here is that seen as arguably facilitating innovation and sustained technological progress 
which the paper actually manages to reasonably con convincingly statistically demonstrate by linking kind of, you know, uh, geographically linking innovation via patent growth and other factors with uh, societies themselves. It's more complicated, obviously. But anyway, this, remember, was at a time in Europe when society was already being upended, dealing with the consequences, good or bad, of its own information revolution. This was the printing press and the surging literacy that followed, the Reformation, the scientific revolution, all sloshing around in the preceding um, period. Uh, and then we get to today. So you've got your, you know, your own social information revolution going on at the moment with regards to social media. It may not always feel uh, that encouraging as we've often talked about, but the upside potential of social media and the free transfer of high quality information in amongst all this bile and disinformation, that's still to be discerned in our opinion. And in a way, if you think about that example of um, economic societies, banks sit at a at a particularly interesting intersection um, and have a role to play in, you know, which is similar to economic societies. That's just one of the roles that banks can play without, you know, saying, you know, blowing our own trumpets, saying something we can do a lot more of and we already do a lot of. You know, you look across, you know, Hannah's world, you've got the Eagle Labs and so on. And Hannah mentioned right at the beginning some of the training um, that was on offer and delivered to remarkable numbers of people um, at the beginning of the year on a range of topics, you know, masterclasses and workshops. Um, and that's part of that that story maybe so maybe you know that there are causes for um optimism and, and things that we can do about it anyway it's the usual jibber jabber the point from me i guess overall is yes 2023 looks difficult but things can go right as well as wrong and the next technological frontier is really approaching fast so i think staying with that frontier that technological frontier moving fast staying as close to it as you possibly can both in terms of business process implemented uh you know technology or investment portfolio that's the key in a way in the probably quite challenging year or so we have we have ahead well thank you will um and also that thank you nikki thank you hannah for joining us today and thank you everyone for listening look forward to joining you again next week all investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.